Welcome, everybody. Um, this is the Broken Savage podcast. I am Stephanie, and um, like my trailer did say, I'm going to be talking about the past, the present, the future, everything that involves what I've been through, what I've seen, what I've done, all that good stuff. Um, many, 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 many years ago, um, people used to tell me all the time, Steph, you should write a book. You, you have such a, a crazy life, which, um, do we ever think our lives are like crazy and exciting? Um, I never did until I got older and I looked back and said, hell, I did do a lot of cool stuff. So, um, I'm going to start off with, I did ask on my Instagram and my Facebook for people to ask me like questions or topics that they wanted me to like talk about. And a lot of people hit me up about the East Coast Romper, um, how I got started with that. And for anyone listening and does not know what the East Coast Romper is, it was a self-made actual magazine that I started in 1994 which went to become a website. Um, So yeah, so I'm going to do a episode on just how I got involved in that, how it started. But um, the one question that everyone asked was how I got into music. Like, do I play an instrument? Do I sing? Do I do all of that good stuff? And the answer is absolutely no. Um, Talented in that area. Um, no, it's, it's pretty awful, especially singing. Like I think I'm badass when I sing, but, um, yeah, I couldn't do it for a profession. So I like bow down to anyone that has a vocal range, like a lot of people do. So bow down to them. Um, I did when I was younger, try piano in like elementary school I think they taught me and I think I learned for a Christmas show at one of my school's um Christmas like showcases like some Christmas holiday songs for piano but um I never really took it seriously which I kick myself in the butt now for not taking it seriously but um I did get through that showcase and it was pretty fun but after that um I didn't really pursue the the lessons and everything like that. So once in a blue moon, I did know how to play the piano. And a funny story is, is we inherited when my grandmother passed her piano because she till this, well, until she passed away, she always thought I would get back into it. So when she left this world, she left me her piano and um, it's been sitting in my house and hasn't been touched, which I'm sorry, Graham, but it was never my, my forte. But, um, so this episode really is all going to be about me growing up, how I got into, well, not even how I got into music, how music got into me really. Um, and we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm going to try to keep this podcast as like professional as possible, but if you hear my dog barking or her fighting with the cat. I'm leaving it in because this is like raw. It's unapologetic and it's just going to be me gabbing to maybe one or two people that listen to this. So for a lot of people, 
Um, you only know me through Instagram. You only know me through social media platforms. Um, a lot of you have never met me. Some of you have, some of you have grown up with me, so you know, but, um, I was born in 1974. My parents stayed together the whole time. Um, never got divorced. So, um, I had like a full home raised well, well, I was a rebel. Let's just put it that way. As I got older, um, my poor parents, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, we crossed that bridge, we dealt with issues and then we moved on. But, um, the one big thing that I have to thank them for, and I'm super excited about is that they always had some kind of music playing in our house. Um, be it my dad was big into country. So we're talking like late seventies, early eighties country stuff, which was never my like taste, but, um, he did listen to some like classic rock stuff. My mom was huge Elvis fan, like loved Elvis to death. So, um, I grew up with that. They had, um, a million, a million, and I still have them albums of like from Jesus from the forties all the way up to probably the late seventies of albums. Um, I know they sold a lot of them off, but there was quite a collection of albums. So, um, that's how I first got into it. Like listening to that, there was always music playing. Um, but I was born in 74 and as soon as I was able to like, actually like function as a, like a mini adult, well, a mini me, I guess. Um, we used to have new year's Eve parties here, just family and everything. And, um, we used to play music all the time and I remember it was probably 1980 New Year's Eve and my mom had bought a Blondie record and she played it on New Year's Eve and I remember my grandmother being here and was like loving the song The Tide Is High um, for anyone that's my age and knows Blondie um, and knows that song for my grandmother to like be digging it was crazy now that I think about it as I got older, but I fell in love with that song. I fell in love with the song Rapture. So Blondie was kind of like my, my thing, like my first girl rock star kind of crush, I guess. Um, and that was pretty like, I don't know. I listened to the album so many times it was ridiculous. Um, so basically I was still too young at 80 to really like consume any other music. But I remember going, and this is another thing that all you young people probably don't remember, but I remember going to this place called Ann and Hope and <laughs> they, it was almost like a department store, but they had, they were one of the places that I went for any music, any records, any, anything at the time. So anytime we went, we probably went like once a week. Um, that's the first spot I would go and I would thumb through all of the like record singles and I would buy, well, my mom would buy for me about God, like three albums and like 10 singles and a magazine, of course, a magazine, um, any rock magazine, metal edge, anything like that. And I would go home and I'd listen and it would be 
it would be fun. Like, um, I remember picking up through the years, a love a boy, um, <laughs> yeah, love a boy album, which was probably one of my favorites. Um, Adam Ant, you know, the eighties rock, like it was, it was badass, but, um, yeah, so that's how, like, my mom was a huge supporter of me finding myself and finding my own, and she loved music, I loved music, my dad loved music, so it was not like I couldn't have music in my house. Um, so a lot of my younger years from, like, seven years old to, like, ten was pretty much that kind of environment, like, um... My mom was very open on getting me pretty much anything. I don't even remember if there was like a huge like language, like I couldn't have this or I couldn't have that because of what they were saying. Like, I think my mom was pretty much open to whatever I wanted to listen to or I was into. She usually was into, so she would buy it for me. Um, then at 11 years old, which was in 1986 there was a tour that was coming and um me and my friend begged not even like I mean I would well yeah begged and asked my parents and her parents if we could go see the Bon Jovi Skid Row and Cinderella tour it was for the Slippery One Wet tour they were coming to Providence and we were in love with John Bon Jovi. My mom was in love with John Bon Jovi. And when we get into the East Coast Romper segment of this podcast, you will see um, what I did for her to thank her for what she did for me when I was younger. So anyway, this tour was coming and we needed to go. So, um, we asked our parents and our parents, all they said was, as long as you have an adult, go with you. And we didn't want our parents to go because that would be so embarrassing. So my cousins decided, yeah, we'll go. We'll, we'll chaperone them. Well, it's, it's cool. So, um, some of you might not even realize this, but back in 1986, there was no internet to go on to Ticketmaster and buy your tickets. Um, you legit had to get your phone, your rotary phone, um, and call Ticketmaster and wait in line on the phone. And these, these phone calls could last up to like 45 minutes because this is the only way and people were calling to get their tickets and their decent seats. So we, um, we finally got through and we got these tickets and we waited and we waited and the day of the show, I don't really remember much of the day leading up to the show or getting there. I do remember that we were on stage left, like the first balcony up. We were like super close, um, no interference. Like we could see straight up like the whole stage and, um, it was just pretty fucking amazing. Here I was, me and my friend, 11 years old, at a show. And mind you, <clears throat> everybody else's parents during this time thought my parents 
and my friend's parents were the evilest people for letting 11-year-olds go to a concert. But um, it is what it is. But And it was a weeknight, too, so that was even <laughs> even worse. But, um, yeah, so Skid Row came out because they were brand new. Sebastian Bach with his fucking long hair. And it was just mind-blowing to see these people that I saw just on record albums or magazines they were like fucking real life in front of me with pyro singing running sweating and I was like right there like it was just it was just I don't I can't even put it into words now how at 11 years old that could like change your life um and the whole the whole show Cinderella was an amazing live act and then of course Bon Jovi came out and who didn't love John Bon Jovi back in the slippery and wet days come on now um so yeah so we bought a shirt I remember his face John Bon Jovi's face being on the front it was a white shirt said slippery and wet and me and my best friend we wore that shirt the next day to school and people were just like we were the the king shit of the school because we got to go to a concert so that was like the most amazing thing ever so my first ever concert was 11 years old seeing Bon Jovi Skid Row and Cinderella so of course when you get the the bug to see shows now you want to go to like every single show possible and um i remember the next show that that was coming to town was motley crew and back in the day motley crew were the bad boys of rock and roll and we needed to see them like <laughs> so the year after um 1987 motley crew toured with white snake and um we did the same thing. We called that good old Ticketmaster. My parents got us tickets. And my other cousins brought me to the show with my friend. Um, same place, Rhode Island, Providence Civic Center. Um, now that show was kind of... I remember more about that show because it was like... The pictures that you saw of Los Angeles back in the day, it seemed like... When we arrived at the venue to see the show, the fans were like outside waiting to get in and everyone looked like a fucking Los Angeles rock star. Like people were in their leather, people were in the hair back then. Like we had teased motherfucking hair. I had teased hair. Um, it's quite scary to look back on pictures now, but um, they all looked like they just walked out of a Motley Crue house like it was like amazing to see all these people dressed in in this attire that you never saw in like suburbia land um so that was one thing that I do remember about that um and I do remember my cousin this time different cousin brought me and um our seats weren't as good because the show was like the show of all shows to see. So we were pretty much in the back of the Civic Center, which was still good seats. We were straight up dead center front of the stage, but in the back. 
on a balcony. Um, still good seats, still everything. But um, I remember watching Whitesnake. And the one thing that I do remember is, <laughs> for some reason, David Coverdale said something about, I think it was Adrian, the guitar player, having a huge cock. And it just, I was like, oh my God, he just said cock on stage. Here I am, 12 years old, loving life right now, right? So um, Whitesnake played their thing. It was, it was pretty dope. Um, like I said, we weren't as close as we were for Bon Jovi. So it was a little different atmosphere, but as we were waiting for Motley Crue to come on, this is a story I will never, ever, ever forget. And I realized <laughs> with this story and this, what happened to us, um, I understood what a groupie is after and um, you'll kind of realize that once I tell you the story. But as we were all sitting, waiting for Motley Crue to come on, these two girls, little mini leather skirts with fishnets, their hair all teased, little t-shirt on, leather jacket, sat next to us. And they're talking to us. They must have been, I would say, at least 18, 19, 20, maybe. And um, they asked us... They asked us if this was our first concert and I was like, no, we saw Bon Jovi before. And she was like, oh, I was there too. And I remember the whole conversation and she's like, have you ever been up front? And I was like, well, we sat over there for Bon Jovi. And she's like, I can get you closer. Do you want to go? And I was like, um, yeah. So we asked my cousin and my cousin was like, I swear to Jesus, if you guys get into trouble or get lost, my ass is on this frying pan and I was like no 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 we're we're gonna go up front and then we'll come right back and she was like okay after the show you better meet us at this exit so here goes me and my friend with these two blonde girls we jump <laughs> the boundary thing to get onto the floor running through people stepping over chairs jumping over chairs and we get to stage left like pretty much right near the stage like you could legit like see the band sweating and Molly Crew comes out and they played probably one song and I remember Vince Neil saying something about how's the ladies out there or some shit like that and the girl that brought us down to the actual stage ripped off her top, no bra on, no nothing. And all of a sudden some guy came and took her and her friend and they went backstage and me and my friend looked at each other and we were kind of in shock and said, what the hell just happened? And my friend said, I think that's what a groupie is. I was like, so they get to meet the band and she was like I think so and anyway we stood where we were for the rest of the show and Nikki Six sweated right near me and it was fucking amazing and it was a great show but it was kind of funny that that happened and we saw that and now I realize after the fact um, that was what girls did to get backstage well some of them um, so yeah, so that was my second show that I ever, um, went to see. So that was in like 87. 
Um, and my parents, through the rest of the few years, I mean, they got us tickets to see Judas Priest. They got us tickets to see Ozzy. Um, so, Testament. So many bands. And they would drive us as we got older and let us go into the show by ourselves. And then they would drive us home because we were still too young to have a license, everything like that. So, um, yeah, that was my first like real, okay. I started early going to concerts, seeing the stuff and it was all arena tours basically. Cause that was the only ones I could really, um, get into. And then, um, I would say probably a few years after that in like 90, 1990, I think, um, I've always like bought the metal edge magazines. I've always bought any magazine ever. And if you guys have ever bought any of those magazines, you always know there's like fan club addresses that you can write to your favorite bands or there's like different things or different ad addresses that you can send stuff and usually it's like a fan club and they'll send you like a thank you note or like a signed autograph picture or stuff like that so a lot of the times that's for newer bands and stuff um we would write letters like saying hey we picked up this and we'd like it and they would sign us an autograph like send us an autograph picture with like a thank you and stuff and it was fun because it was like collectibles and everything like that. Um, there was one band in 1990 that, um, was out of New York called Trouble Tribe. Um, that band actually was really, really, really amazing to people that rode in because they were just starting out. So they would actually call you and like chat with you to say thank you and do all that stuff. Um, they used to have, I remember, a phone number you could call and leave a message, um, and they would call you back and, like, leave you messages on your phone, like, if you didn't answer and stuff like that. So it was, like, it took a few days, but there was always, like, a connection with them. And um, that band was, I, I would say we, we, like really good on their like street team to promote them and stuff like that and they set up a tour and they were coming to Boston to the channel which is a a rock club like in Boston and the band had called me and my friend to tell us that they were doing this tour and they wanted us to come out they put us on the um, guest list so we were excited. We wanted to go. We asked our parents and our parents was like, it's a nightclub. I don't think you can get in. And I was like, no, no, no. They said they would get us in and I, we want to go. So nobody wanted to take us. Like they didn't want to drive to Boston. Nobody liked driving to Boston. So they were like, you know, I really don't think you're going to be able to go, which was kind of a bummer. And, um, I remember, pouting like I was the biggest bitch because I wanted to go see this band like ASAP and um did I tell you I'm an only child and yeah back in my younger years when I was 15 years old um I was a little bit spoiled more so from my mom than my dad but um anyway my mom 
saw that I was like the most miserable person ever and was like, if you want to go for, it's going to be your birthday present. I will rent you a limo. And I was like, oh my God, you're going to rent me a limo. We're going to go see this band that we're like friends with. This is amazing. And the other highlight was the band Treble Tribe was opening up for Doro Pesh, who is from Warlock. Um, I think it was actually Warlock that was touring. Yes, I'm pretty sure. So it was like so exciting. So my mom rented a limo and me and my friend, we went to Boston in this limo. We got to the channel. We met the band who were super sweet. And then they got us to meet Doro Pesh, which I have a signed autographed um, picture of her that she signed in front of us. Um, she took pictures with us, 15 years old. Um, so that for me was the first, like, I guess, rock star, rock star. Like she was a bigger known person. So was the band back then. So she was like the first person that actually we met and she was so pretty and we were just like freaking out. Now to get us into <laughs> the nightclub, I don't remember how we got in, but they got us in somehow and we watched the set. But we had to leave right after their the Trouble Tribes set was done. We couldn't watch Doro. So I did not get to see Doro perform. But later in my life, I did see her many times. So I'm grateful for that. But um, yeah, 15 years old, first time, got us into a nightclub. Um, so working with them was fun. Like the, being on their street team was pretty much fun. So I would say the first time like we really, I really got into supporting or promoting bands was more street team stuff than anything else. Um, the next band that came into my life that helped me realize, um, where I was going in my life was a band called Tough, T-U-F-F, -F, um, total glam band from California, um, along with another band called Wild Boys, another glam band. Um, those two bands, same thing, street team. They gave us phone calls. Um, they were just starting out. Well, tough was a little bit bigger. Um, and I became really good friends with, um, their manager and he did visit me, um, back in the day. So that was really cool. But both of those bands, not at the same time, but in the same year, was coming to a rock club called Derringers in Brockton, Mass. I don't know if anyone remembers those days, but yep. Um, so mm -hmm. around 16, still didn't have my license quite yet. So my parents, well, my mom brought us up to um, the club both times to see these bands. And like any other club, we got in because of the band, but we couldn't stay for like the whole show. So, um, we had to watch their set and then leave. But for those bands, like we got to see Soundcheck, we got to see Loden. Um, we were there like for like the boring stuff before the fun stuff happened, but it was still for someone that was 16 that never ever had any inkling of this kind of world. It was pretty amazing to say the least. Um, 
those guys. Um, Wild Boys, I don't really know what happened to them. And Tough, too. I don't know if they're still doing stuff. I kind of lost touch after the years. But um, those were two bands that really stand out to really um, get me into promoting bands and networking and plastering, I'm sure, people's cars and walls and everything hate the stickers that we put up but yeah we plastered fucking stickers everywhere so anyone that's um listening to this and it was your car or wall I'm very sorry I was only 16 I didn't know what I was doing so as we continue to just like support bands like I said through the magazines every week we would buy or every month we would buy like all the new rock magazines and we'd go through and like we'd read every interview and mind you through these times my walls in my house were plastered with Motley Crue everything um my biggest crush in the whole entire world is Nikki Six forever and ever um but my walls were like head to toe Motley Crue every article every picture every poster it was there um, I had a jean jacket with their, their patch on it. It, through the years, wore that motherfucker every single day. And it was so ragged by the end. But I still would not let it go. I'd still wear it. I wish I still had it and kept it. But I think it legit, like, fell to pieces. So, finally, what really turned, um my brain into thinking about what I could do more in the rock scene was in 1993 the band Candlebox came out with their debut album and I fucking loved that album like no joke probably one of my favorites from that like era um and I was watching it. It's really funny because back in the day, MTV and like actually played videos and they had head, headbangers ball and they had all that good stuff. Um, but I remember I was sitting in my room one day and I had the TV on and Candlebox video came on. It was for this song called You. It's for you. In that song, I could listen to over and over again. And having a video to like supplement the greatness of that song was even better for me. So mind you, like I told you in the a little bit before, um, I used to write to fan clubs all the time. And um, of course, when Candlebox's album came out, there was a fan club address. And yes, this girl wrote to Candlebox. But I never heard anything from them so it was kind of a bummer but I still love them but I remember I don't remember what day it was but I remember the you video came on and I was watching it and my phone rang and I was like alright so I picked up the phone and I said hello and this man on the other line said hi is Stephanie there and I was like this is and he was like, hey, this is Kevin Martin of Candlebox. And I think 
I almost passed out because I remember saying to him, you're who? And he said his name again. And I was like, you're on my TV. And he said, excuse me. So I said, listen. So I put the, the phone up to the speaker of the TV and I said, you're on my TV, but you're on my phone. And he like busted out laughing and he talked to me for a good 15 minutes, thanking me for supporting the band. And after that phone call, I hung up, I watched that motherfucking video again and I think I did the biggest happy dance ever in my living room whatsoever. I remember my mom being in the other room and she was like, what just happened? And I told her and the smile she said on my face could have lit up every city in the like 50 mile radius. And after that night, I must have told everybody about the phone call and I really wish I had recorded it because it is something that I still think of like it was yesterday. Like I was just so astonished and so excited that this dude who had a video on MTV and probably became one of the bigger acts ever, um, had my phone number, knew my name and was calling me. So after that night is when I decided to put full thought into what I could do more than just writing to fan clubs and, you know, street teaming it and doing that. Like I wanted to do more in the music industry because one, anytime music came to me, anytime things like what I've told you in this little podcast right now happened, my heart felt so happy and for somebody to come back to me and tell me a little girl from nowhere Massachusetts thank you for supporting us it just meant the whole fucking world to me so um that's how I kind of grew up with music um it might be a boring story but let me just tell you as I sit here at 46 years old and I think back to everything that has happened to me in those younger years I don't know many, many kids back then that their parents would have let them have that kind of openness and trust in their child to do the things I've done. Although they were right behind me on most of the things, but for me to be able to do what I did at a young age, um, it, it's just really cool, I think, um, so I'm going to leave that for now because I've talked enough, but in the next episode or two or three, part two is going to come um, and it's pretty much going to begin the journey of the East Coast Romper, which started in 1994. And um, there is a YouTube video on my channel, um, East Coast Romper, the YouTube and on my website, which um if you go to the Instagram East Coast Romper, the link's in the bio. And if you go to the video section of that website, there is a video of me kind of detailing how I got started with the romper. But I'm going to do another podcast here in a few days. Um, 
about that part of the journey and about managing bands because I did do that too and all the way up to stopping and all the way up to revamping the East Coast Romper to freelancing. So I really hope my little story about my younger years and the bands that I came in contact with at such a young age kind of I don't know, excited you or entertained you for a little bit. And um, once again, thank you for checking out the Broken Savage podcast. And I will talk to you in a few days.